Welcome, 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 welcome to the Vocal Revolution. I am so thrilled to be here today and so thrilled to be here with my wonderful special guest, Jill Manley, who I'm just about to introduce. The Vocal Revolution for um, any of you who haven't tuned in before is my monthly Zoom cast. It's not a podcast, it's a Zoom cast uh, where we talk about how voice can be life changing. How can we change the world with our voices? And my special guest today, Jill Manley, knows all about that. She is completely the right person for us to talk to today uh, because she's an amazing, she's well known as an amazing jazz singer. Um, but what many people don't know is that Jill actually first trained as a classical actor in 1979 in the West End. She started out um, on, in the West End and then by chance met some jazz musicians, which led her on a career path, becoming a critically acclaimed jazz singer for 40 years. And she performed in all the major London clubs, becoming the queen of Ronnie Scott's. She's released five CDs. She's performed for the Dalai Lama and with Bobby McFerrin. And Jill also is the most incredible curator and creator of events. She brings her multiple talents. She's the most amazing chef, and so she can do all the catering. She's also previously run conferences. She's uh, been a festival curator. She's uh, been a DJ, a composer, a columnist. And she's also created three commissions with Croydon, Croydonite's new festival of theatre, the last of which she co-wrote and presented with Joanna Scanlon. So Jill, in this time, during the time when theatre and jazz and gigs are all closed down in so many ways, Jill has also now retrained as an independent celebrant. And I can only imagine that anyone that has been to a Jill event will know this, but I, and I personally do too, that she takes care of every single detail and every single person at any event. And so anyone who is honored to have her support their funeral, their wedding, their special event, which of course have all been significantly disrupted this year, uh, will be very lucky to have Jill be there and, and be part of their team leading the event. So she's here today, Jill, welcome to talk to us about the voice of celebration because we know that it's kind of Christmas, which is traditionally a celebratory period for some of us. And it's also a time where we like to gather with people and friends and family have some time out. But of course, all of that's significantly different this year, as have all our events been. So we're going to be talking to Jill today about how do we still celebrate? How do we stay tuned to that intuitive power of our creative voices, which I believe is inherent and is still with us, no matter the circumstances? Um, how do we stay tuned to all of that despite our our current situation? So welcome, Jill. Thank you for joining me. Da -da -da. Yay. <laughs> little Christmas flower to keep us company. Wow. Wow, there's a Christmas flower. And there's a little cat behind me that I'm afraid is going to interrupt constantly. But <laughs> got treats to try and keep him at bay. It's not working. <laughs> well, that's wonderful. Um, we've got so we've got a special guest. We've got Jill and her cat and a special Christmas flower. So aren't we lucky to have all of that happening today? <laughs> I may have to 
even bring him up on the table, although he seems to have gone in the kitchen temporarily, which is always a good thing. <laughs> anyway, well, I'm sure we'd be very happy for him to make an appearance if he wants to grace us with his presence. <laughs> um, so tell us, Jill, a little bit about, I mean, I've just shared some of the highlights of your amazing journey, but is there anything you particularly want to share with us about your reflections on things you've seen as, as a vocalist, things that you uh, would particularly like to share with us today from your experiences, your story? Well, this year or just generally? <laughs> well, generally, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Um, I suppose what what this year has proved is that it doesn't matter what you try to do <laughs> to have a career, it's possible that something's going to block it. And uh, I think really that's been a, an issue sort of career-wise all along the way is that um, things happen that aren't entirely in our control or power mm. and that there you have to be someone who provides solutions um, and pivots oneself in many ways um, to overcome whatever the blockage or obstacle is. And sometimes there's just no way yeah um but i think you know for me it's always been a case of um you know if there isn't enough work for whatever reason or people just don't want to hire you because you don't fit what they're trying to achieve it's just a way of keeping it going um yes. that's always been a difficulty and i think you know in the creative arts you know you're not always going to fit the ideal of and particularly for me it's always been a struggle because you know look or age or um size you know you don't fit a certain mold and and so you just have to think well if that's the case what are my strengths you know as a performer or an artist or you know a writer or whatever it is what is it that i bring and i think that's actually a thread that um, I've seen over the years is that often people try and categorize themselves visually as well as vocally to fit a trend. And that, that it brings to light this whole thing about authenticity. Yes. As a, you know, what am I trying to be mm. that other people want? you know, in the zeitgeist, but actually is that right to try and be that thing or that sound? Um, and there are hard yards in that struggle. And one sees a lot of singers over the years who have tried to mold themselves into the boxes. Yes. And either have ended up being very unhappy. And the, one of the most recent you know, examples of that is um, Jessie from Little Mix, who just can't take it anymore. And she's bowed out. Yes. And she's had real mental health struggles as a result of, you know, particularly now with social media, of how people have treated her. Yes. Spoken about her and written about her. And I mean, I've never had to go through that, thankfully. And I couldn't have gone through that. But, you know, trying to instead of just being her wonderful, amazing self, which is what got her the job, then people giving her so much grief and appalling scorn and derision that she's tried to fit herself into that vision and mold, but it still hasn't worked for her. 
Yes. And so she stepped out of it. And good for her, you know, because her yeah. mental health is far more important than all the trolls in the world who are trying to say this, that and the other. It's like, it's not worth it. It's mm. just not worth it. And um, people have lost their, literally ruined their voices trying to sound a certain way because they've seen someone else succeed and think, well, if I sound like them, I will be them and I will have the rewards. But that's the, not the point because there can only be one of that person. Yes. So what is it about you that's special and unique and that may not bring you the fame and fortune or the visibility that you feel you deserve? But that person that you're trying to be, the reason they became special is because they were themselves. Yes. And so it happened to resonate with certain record producers and audiences, but what was the cost? Yes. And in certain cases, like Adele, you know, totally trashed her voice. Yeah. Um, and while she's still apparently looking to bring out an album next year, you know, every time she's come back, she's had to stop touring because her voice is being ruined. And not because she's trying to sound like anyone else, don't get me wrong, but because the voice wasn't designed to be pushed and pulled around in the way that we expect and demand. Mm -hmm. And there's been this vocal trend for many years now for us to sound like, you know, Mariah Carey or Whitney Houston and have all these endless runs and vocal techniques and tricks, which springs out of a different form of music, you know, that, that gospel sound that Whitney Houston really sort of was brought up up, brought up in and grew up in and trained in other people are trying to recreate that sound without that training mm. and it it's damaging and not right so yeah. you know there's a lot of arguments about that and trying to sound like them but it's like why would you want to do that you can't yes. ever replicate them so just do you yes it's like that favorite That's Oscar cool. Wilde quote, isn't it? You know, just be yourself. Everyone else is taken. But um, <laughs> um, so, yes. And, ha you know, that journey, I think, as an artist to find our own voices is complex. As you say, there are many pressures saying we should look like this. We should be like that. We should sing like this. And I think especially for women, we should definitely look a certain way. And, um, you know, you've obviously charted your own course and you found your own course and you do have a very uh, unique and extraordinary voice and actually speaking to everyone listening actually everyone has a very unique and extraordinary voice and we just don't always know how to recognize that as you say and make the most of it make the most of what is ours so what helped you on your journey of finding your voice or are there any tips you can share about being really you your authenticity well it's interesting because I have what's called breaks I have two breaks in my voice and what that means is that the voice has two spaces in it in within the scale of what I can achieve vocally where the voice has to change or move it's like gear changing mm. for of a better description some people just have a smooth sound all the way through their voice range lucky them I really envy them I don't so when I first started singing at drama school I had a really great vocal teacher who recognized it was a real struggle for me and, and I couldn't work out whether I was a soprano or I was a tenor or I was a baby it just was a nightmare for me to find where my voice sat 
And he said, well, stop trying to do it. He said, what you do is you, you embrace those breaks. Yes. Use them because that's your tonality. That's actually what makes your voice special. Yes. And instead of trying to smooth your voice, look at that section in your voice and say, how can I actually make more of it and actually use it as like, gosh, that's what my signature sound is. And, and so when he said that, it was quite um, enlightening and liberating because, and it's what I now call singing your ugly. In other words, instead of trying to smooth that part of my voice that to me I thought was a mistake mm -hmm. or not nice, is actually to say, well, actually, that's the, the good part of my sound. That's the bit that's interesting. Yes. So why am I not just enjoying that? So from seeing them as my ugly, ugly, I see them as my beautiful ugly. Lovely. I love that. So I always say to singers, if I'm teaching, and I actually don't enjoy teaching, so I kind of don't do it. But when I have, I've always said to them, whatever that space is that makes you uncomfortable or you feel doesn't fit the mould, that's what you are. That is your sound. And that's what you should be focusing on. Don't try to sing really high because you worry that your middle range or your low range isn't good. That's the bit you should be working on. And a lot of singers make the mistake of singing either too high or too low. So as a jazz singer, what you're attempting to do is place the song that you're working on sort of in the middle of your range so that you then have space either side to improvise and develop from. Otherwise, where are you going to go? Mm -hmm. If you set the song too high, you probably can't go any higher in your improvisation. Obviously, you can go lower, but then you're only really focusing on the specific section of your voice. So the biggest, biggest learning curve you can have when you're learning your songs or developing the arrangements of your song is set it centrally. And then you've got somewhere to go either side. And that's when it gets interesting. Wow, yeah. As an improviser, or even as anyone, you know, if, you, if you're the sort of modern day singer that has, uses those vocal riffs and runs, if you've got nowhere to go either side, it's not interesting. Mm. So, for example, I was, oddly, I was watching one of these vocal masterclasses on YouTube. And they were demonstrating Christina Aguilera's voice. Now, I'm not a great fan of her music, but I, I admire her technique. And they said, look, you know, when she's in the lower part of her range, she has a completely different approach to that sound so that it appears to be very easy and lower than it really is. But she's actually singing more softly. So you are actually hearing the difference in the timbre of her sound. So when she's in her more central part, which is stronger and she can belt, yes. then you're getting that sound. And then in the higher sort of whistle sounds, then you're getting a whole nother texture. So. I suppose what I'm trying to say is like, you know, find your central point and then explore all that other stuff and see where it takes you. That's fantastic advice. Really great advice. Thank you very much. And very much about, you know, I love that point about making the most, you know, that a so-called mistake is not a mistake. It can be a feature. And actually I've found that myself sometimes even when you're recording something and you think something so-called wrong, but then actually think, actually that works better than what I planned. So when <laughs> you find another harmony or a different thing that wasn't expected, but actually it gives you, 
gives you more. So um, it's great to have that that approach um, embracing our because it's not what we're taught. We're taught for perfection, aren't we? But perfection is not really human. It's not, not really. our existence. This, see, that's for someone like me who's very OCD about things, I have to sometimes stand back and say, perfection is not required. Mm. Because let's remember that when someone goes into a very, very expensive, wonderful studio that's being paid for by a record company, they have every, every minute of the day to literally examine every single breath and every single note and smooth it. Yes. And in performance, you will never get that. No. You, you could name very few singers where vocal perfection, maybe in the opera world, you know, I'll give you that. But generally in, in pop music, you know, our end of the business, you're not going to find that, that, that perfect smoothness. It's just not possible. It's all automated and it's, you've had the, the endless months to go in there and tweak all yes. the buttons and, and think, ah, oh, no, wait a minute, that needs a little, you know? Yes. And if and you've got perfect pitch, you become even more kind of OCD about it. And I would hate to be that kind of singer anyway, because it's like, you know, the edginess is more fun. Yes, and there's so many people, if we think of like singers like, for example, Tom Waits, extraordinary voice, gravelly voice, you know, and he has, there's no smoothness in there at all, but his voice is so recognisable, instantly recognisable, and he has, you know, launched an extraordinary career on the back of a voice that is so unique, and so, and there's so many people who, yeah, we could name so many. You see, that's an interesting example you use, because singer-songwriters write for their own voices. Mm -hmm. So he knows his sound, so... The, the words and the sentiment and the music will fit his sound. That's right. Um, so, but then you see, if I go and try and sing a Tom Waits song and try to sing like Tom Waits, well, it ain't going to go anywhere because I don't have his voice or his range. And that's where it gets interesting because that is then the challenge to make that song your own. And that's what then elevates it into something else. And that's, again, where your authenticity is so important. Because if I want to sing a Tom Waits song, I'm going to remove it, his voice from that and say, well, what is it that about that song that resonates with me? Is it the words? Is it the sound? Is it both? Is it the tempo? And what then do I, when I climb into the, the, the thought process, and examine that resonation, that's when you take it to a different level and you take it into your own sound. And that's what interpretation is about. Yes. Otherwise it's copying. Yes. Yeah. 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 yeah that making of something your own. And actually I've just taught a singer's salon, a solo singer's salon. And we, and there was um, a number of people had a light bulb moment when they suddenly realized that they had permission to make the song their own. They didn't have to copy it, you know, and just having that, permission to say look you do not have to sing it the way the original person sang it yeah you, it needs to be recognizable as in um the, the basics of it but there's so much you can add and personalize as you say whether it's riffs whether it's runs whether it's just timbre or a softening of certain notes there's so many different ways that we can vary and interpret and and from our own 
And for me, it's always about staying true to the message of the song and the emotion of the song, you know, not just putting in a run because it sounds nice, but putting it in because it's part of what I'm expressing at that moment. And it feels like my voice wants to expand in that way with that feeling. Um, so yeah, fantastic. Thank you for all those amazing vocal tips. And um, you see, te technique is great. And I'm not a technician. I didn't train at, you know, the, the Guildhall School of Music on the jazz because it didn't exist. I trained on the hoof. I just sat in on sessions and learnt by ear. Now, it took longer, in a sense, to understand the mechanism. But what's wrong with that? Why has it got to be overnight? I mean, the whole thing about jazz is it's a continuously, you know, uh, um, growing art. And with age and the voice changes drastically during various periods of your life as a female, that um, why would you want to be, you know, that instant artist? I don't think that's what jazz, particularly jazz, is about in the pop world that's something else so coming from my world i would say that you know age is a bonus and particularly in the last five years my voice has dropped mm. for physiological reasons not just because i smoke fags or whatever and stay up late at night that that was never the issue the issue was menopause yes um some surgery that i had and the fact is that you know the voice dropped an octave mm. I did lose a little bit of my top end, but on a good day, I can fetch some of that in. But it was like, oh my God, so here we are. And I had to revise all my arrangements. And I sat with my pianist and said, you know, we're gonna to have to drop a lot of these songs, a good fifth or good sixth or even an octave. But what's wrong with that? You know, I still have the range to accommodate it, but the tone, as well as the range had changed drastically. Um, and even my speaking voice is a lot lower now, but that's okay. I mean, again, you know, embrace the change, embrace the new tonality. What it's like, you know, it's a gift. Mm. It's not a problem. Yes. Um, so what I'm trying to say also is that technique's fine and use it as your foundation but to become an interesting, unique artist, that's just your foundation. The rest then comes, then the, the work then comes after that. And if all you're gonna do is take, you know, other people's songs and just like slather it in riffs, well, sorry, I find that rather dull. That's not creativity to me. That's just the practice of a technique. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I hear you. And I know that actually you have um, offered to share a poem with us with perhaps some insight about, about how we take something and make it, make it our own. Um, uh, let me just see if I can bring that up for us. Um, well, before so we kind of look at that, it, yes. you know, the, the discussion point for me is this, you know, having trained as an actor back in the 70s, at that point, we were still looking at classical acting very much, although not as much as like, well, the great performers were like, you know, Laurence Olivier and his Henry V speech, you know, that was, you know, he was the greatest living actor. He was still alive at that point and everything was about, you know, the delivery of blank verse and this is what we aspired to. And, you know, looking back, I think what a load of nonsense because, 
you know, theatre evolves. It's a constantly evolving art and the writing evolves. And whilst we still use Shakespeare as our reference point and should do, yes, in terms of the writing, actually, you know, it's been revealed subsequently that so much of it as it is relevant historically, politically now and, and romantically, but it's a conversation. It was a conversation in Shakespeare's mind, which he then puts down as a conversation in a method of writing, you know, blank verse or whatever, or sonnets. But ultimately, it's a thought process and a conversation. So why would we keep our foot in the path, past in the way that we deliver something? So um, the Globe Theatre is such a fascinating place for Shakespeare because it doesn't dwell in that past. It, it looks to the future and it says, well, here are women now who can play these roles as wonderfully as any man. And why shouldn't they? And why shouldn't they come in all shapes and sizes and colours and various, you know, physical abilities? Fantastic. And let's look at how it rele the relevancy of the discussions that Shakespeare was having in the way that we speak it now. Yes. So a great example, which I think is still available on YouTube, or if you go to the Globe Theatre website, is Michelle Terry's um, exploration of the role of Hamlet. Yes. I defy anyone not to be excited, and, and the revelation of the text, yes. it's astonishing. It's as fresh today as it would have been when it was written. So what I'm trying to sort of reach before we get to this poem is whether you're taking a song lyric or you're taking a poem or you're taking any bit of text you have to go to it and say what is the discussion what is the discourse what is the theme what is the writer asking me to think about so in the poem that we're going to look at in a minute in a minute you know Joyce Grenfell was the writer and her discourse was about her funeral. And what was she trying to ask us? Um, what, what does she want us to think? How did she want us to think differently? What is the thread of that discourse? Now it can be in the space of four lines, it can be in the space of four pages. But when you're entering into that person's thought process, your voice then becomes their, you know, is the mechanism for their thought process. But nevertheless, your thought process is the reason you've chosen that bit of text or that lyric is, what am I bringing to that moment, to that thought process? What inspired me? What motivated me to want to deliver that message? So instead of plastering it with a style, i.e. you know the way that Olivier would deliver Henry V, how would I approach Henry V? What resonates in me? What am I, how am I expressing that? So that sounds kind of like, well that's so obvious Jill, you know, it's going to be your interpretation. Yes, but your interpretation will be different because of your thought process and the way that you use your voice to express that. So I thought it would be fun just to look at this teeny, teeny, tiny little poem by Joyce Grenfell, because it, it's, it's, I was researching funeral poetry 
and for the most part it's all very sad and my attitude towards you know preparing for potentially you know delivering a eulogy or uh, designing a funeral is that there should be equality of mirth and reverence so in other words you know life isn't just one endless path of misery there have to have been moments of levity somewhere along the way i hope um so for a moment i thought well this poem is quite interesting because and i'm going to bring it up on my screen and talk about it so it's called if i should go would you like me to share it now Jane? yes if you can share it on screen that would be great here we go i'm going to demo two ways that one could approach this so on first glance, one could think, you know, gosh, this is really sad. She's saying, oh, when I go, it's all going to be terribly sad and blah, 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 blah. So one could, you know, as a, a, as a celebrant, be standing in front of the family who are grieving and say, if I should go before the rest of you, break not a flower, nor inscribe a stone, nor when I'm gone, speak in a Sunday voice, but be the usual selves that I have known. Weep if you must, parting is hell, but life goes on, so sing as well. Yes, well, that's a way of approaching it. And what's so interesting to me is that the, in the English language, in, in our spoken language in English, the tendencies for the inflection all is to go down at the end of a sentence. If you actually listen to people speaking, we go down at the end, but in French, the inclination is to always have the upward inflection at the end of a sentence. Yes. Um, and if you listen to French spoken word or just French conversation, it goes up at the end. And it's really interesting because that actually sparks an interest. It's like, oh, that's interesting what they've just said. Even if they've said something really simple, it's like, it's left in the air as opposed to down in the ground. So without sort of laboring that point, it is interesting to think, well, if that is a different way of delivering something and looking at something, how do we then invite people to become more interested in the text? And here are two ways of doing that. You know, number one, what is the inflection? And number two, what am I trying to say? So if I wanted to then go back to this poem and deliver it in a different way, in a more conversational way, I could say, if I should go before the rest of you, great, not a flower nor inscribe a stone. In other words, I don't want you to do this. If I go before you, I don't want to go. I don't want you to do, I don't want you to break a flower, cut flowers. And I don't want you to get a huge, great stone. Nor, when I'm gone, speak in a Sunday voice. In other words, you know, don't go down that path of extreme reverence. But be the usual selves that I have known. I'll weep if you must. Parting is hell. But life goes on. So sing as well. So, you know, she's saying, I know it's going to be hard, 
but life is going to go on. So this is the way I want you to approach my funeral. You know, don't bring loads of flowers. Don't get a big stone and don't be all somber in church. But, you know, crack on, have a bit of a giggle and have a good sing song. So if I should go before the rest of you, break not a flower nor inscribe a stone, nor when I'm gone speak in a Sunday voice, but be the usual selves that I have known and weep if you must, Parting is hell, but life goes on. So sing as well. Totally different poem. Totally different. Totally different. And this is why I say, you know, you must understand the message and the discourse first. Yes. I'm just stop the shit. And yeah, when yeah. you've kind of got that in your head, suddenly all that sort of somberness and placing of style becomes irrelevant you, you don't need to do that you know yes i mean if you if, you know and again your audience is who's your audience who's your audience that's that's a whole nother discussion that's a whole nother discussion but in that poem for example her audience is her friends that she's talking to the people that love her and you know so and it's that intimacy and of course if if you were to be as a celebrant saying that in a in a in a funeral of course it would be performed to the friends and the family so there's a very intimate audience there which is going to be very different from singing in a jazz club no doubt you know so as you say the audience you know is but the same but the, principles of delivery reply right it's true to a degree but when you're preparing a show you've already got your audience in mind so if it was a funeral for example that i was preparing for i'd have a whole panoply of material and i'd say right if you're going for to encourage people into being more positive about the passing of your friend and your friend had a wicked sense of humor. Have a look at this poem. Do you think they would want you to think in this way? And actually a family might say, do you know what? That sums them up perfectly. And he would, or she would say, you know, don't spend loads of money on flowers and, you know, go down the pub, have a beer and have a good old sing song. In which case the tone of the delivery of that poem would be completely apt. But then it's about how you curate your script, how you make the show, be it a funeral, be it a wedding, be it at Ronnie Scott's. You have a vast responsibility and, and this is something that I was thinking about when you asked me about this is you know shaping a show isn't about putting a set list together and saying okay well, we're going to start with a an upbeat big band number then we're going to do two bossa novas then we're going to do a ballad and then we'll do you know it, it's not to me it's not that mm. it's about shaping a movement you know, what, what am I in the overall scheme of a show trying to do with this audience? Where do I want to end up with them mm -hmm. at, at, at the end of the first set? Do I want them to be intrigued, uplifted, depressed? And then when I come to open the second part of the show, where are we going with that? Are we going to make it darker? How dark can I go? Mm. And then can we then give them some, you know, uh, something that uplifts them and makes them realise, gosh, that was tough, but, you know, they're still... And then at the end, we're all clapping our hands together. So 
I have a huge responsibility, whatever my role is, whether it's a celebrant or a singer or a DJ or whatever, if you're going to do the job, anyway, that's how I do it. And I'm going to have a a little Scotty dog biscuit to celebrate. (laughs) You said to bring cakes, didn't you? (laughs) It's good to celebrate with a Scotty dog biscuit. Fantastic. Wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. And you're absolutely right. It's the journey that we take people on um, as artists or event creators um, and having that mindfulness that, yeah, people are coming to have what I believe I've always believed I guess that any kind of performance is it's a kind of ritual and it's a kind of you're going into a different space from the everyday world and you're there to be you know hopefully uplifted have something that's going to make you feel different so that when you come out even if you just had a good laugh you know you feel different something different has happened that you wouldn't normally it wouldn't happen if you were just sitting in your lounge basically at home and um but mind you now we're having to do all of that in our lounge I have to say but (laughs) lots of lounge disco but um but you know that that whole journey of transformation and that where for me is I suppose where the vocal revolution part comes in is that potential for transformation and one of the things I'm passionate about sharing here is just have you got a favorite story of where you've really felt, wow, something really transformational happened? I'm sure many, many times, but either for you or for an audience member or an example or within an event, something that was really transformative. I know you've done loads of work for many causes as well, and those are transformational in a social way. Um, but is there a couple of examples you'd like to share? Um, well, yeah, transformation itself, I mean, it's such a rich, rich subject. You know, I could talk for days on this, but I suppose. So it's about state, state of mind and state of being. So as an actor, before you go on stage, you have to get into a different kind of zone. And it's one of like, some people enter their characters so deeply that 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 they lose themselves and there's there's a kind of um beauty about that losing oneself whether it's being an actor or being a musician it's getting lost in whatever that is and the way that i describe some performers or or actors or musicians you know it's not just singers but you know, Charlie Parker, the saxophone player, you know, anyone, Miles Davis. In a sense, they enter a state of channeling. And I think some of the most creative, extraordinary, interesting people, and I don't necessarily place myself in in that, that roster, but as a method, I think they do enter a different, almost trance-like state to channel that information and if we understand and accept that energy is everywhere sound light wind rain everything vibrates universally electricity you know where is it it's everywhere um solar power there is vibration everywhere and it's how you choose to co-create with that energy and tap into it and there are so many ways of getting into that state and it's interesting how you know even some of the sort of interesting um unusual teachers of 
you know, positive mental attitude, if you like, but there's, there's better descriptions of it. Talk about getting in state. So, for example, um, Tony Robbins, who's a great speaker on, you know, transformation, etc., etc. Um, and I went to one of his conferences where you have to walk across hot coals <clears throat> at the end of the day. And it's about getting into a state where part of your mind is released from certain feelings like pain or whatever. So when you're walking on hot coals, you're thinking, actually, I'm walking on cold, cool, wet moss. So how does the brain then flip? Well, I mean, it's, you're teaching the brain, but the brain has billions and billions and billions of messages it's sending itself all the time. But if you give it different messages, you know, somehow you can, it, it, it can cut out some other messages. You know, people talk about affirmations and how if you put more spin on, more positive spin on how you approach life, and the negativity starts to fade away. So what I suppose I'm trying to say is that everything is about being in a state, a different state. So as artists, I always feel that I'm channeling an energy and my ch the energy that I'm channeling is music and words. That's, and my method is jazz. So there we go. That's the process. But I need to be able to enter into a different state. Now, People say when you're practicing something, you practice it so that it becomes second nature. Actually, I think that's wrong. I think it should become your first nature. Because if something's your second nature, it means it's not the main focus. It's something that's sublimated into your subconscious. Mm -hmm. I want to be fully conscious. I, I want to be in the moment. I want it to be my first nature so that when I'm coming on stage or delivering, you know, eulogy, whatever, I am so within that piece of work that it's the thing that I'm completely super conscious, super involved in at the moment. It's not something that's tucked away. Yes, the technique and the ability to do it is second nature, but my first nature is the work. So I suppose to take that to its sort of finality, what I'm saying is that if I've worked hard enough, the abilities in there, it's automatic, but the information that I am channeling to you is super present. It's here. It's not tucked away. So I'm getting into that moment where I'm sort of shutting out necessarily the unnecessary and that the very necessary is already in there embedded as an automated thing. But my first nature that I'm channeling is the work. Does that yes. sound ridiculous? No, not at all. That sounds just <laughs> extraordinary. Not ridiculous. It sounds extraordinary and it sounds transformative. Like hard work, but it isn't, you know. No, because when you get into those flows, what they call flow states or, you know, that highly conscious, very aware state, but also you're like in a trance state, that meditative zone, which I believe is in a very natural state. But as you say, you want to bring it forward rather than it just being... I think we naturally go into it like often before we go to sleep and then when we come out of sleep, you know, that's the obvious time where most people well, will access I think, that. I think that's your theta waves. Exactly. But and it's, so, really, it's really right. interesting, Katie, because whilst I say that I'm in a state of channeling and almost trance, actually I've become super aware mm. because I'm so immersed and part of the energy that is 
happening as a result of the energy I'm putting out there, I am then getting a response yes. from the audience, which if I'm working correctly or in the way that I think is correctly, I'm then picking up on their reaction. Mm -hmm. I'm guiding that reaction and making my plan kind of work more efficiently. In other words, if I've decided I'm going to do three extremely difficult, hard songs in a row that will require them to go into a state of real, you know, maybe sadness or upset, that they feel comforted by the fact that I'm confident enough to be able to take them down that path. Mm. But they will be taken to a place of security at the end of it. But it's a case of like trusting myself and the audience trusting that I'm, I know what I'm doing so that it's not plastered and lathered with anything that's superfluous or not needed. It's the rawness of that moment, which is like energy. Yes. Yes. And that trust, I, I love that you talk about it. it isn't a relationship of trust, isn't it? And coming back to where, you know, we started with this idea about the voice of celebration and you as a celebrant as well, you know, that whole thing of, you know, how do we build that trust when a lot of the, the ways that we build trust as humans is a lot, it's quite visceral sometimes, isn't it? Being together in presence, being able to hug each other, being able to be physically together. Now that's been completely disruptive, but then I think there is an opportunity to rely more then on the intuitive sense, on the creative, on the non, uh, the non-physical really, uh, which I think is really fascinating how, we've all been challenged to almost go into a state of creative retreat really and to have to draw on our resources which are non-physical when it comes to trying to connect with each other whether that's virtually or otherwise so it's been a <clears throat> although it's been hard you know it's been a blessing on one hand for people to have if they chose to take it the opportunity to take a long hard look and decide well the where was i going this year and was it the right way to go? And what can I do right now to enhance or change or improve or find something new that inspires or, or just to have a, a rest? Because it's so easy to sort of get hooked into, I've got to do this amount of gigs or performances to pay my mortgage this month, yada, 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 yada. But am I enjoying them? Mm. What percentage of those were just for the money? Did I care? How much stress was it bringing me in terms of having to do all the social media to sell the tickets? Mm. And isn't it nice not to have that stress? <laughs> I mean, yeah, there's other stresses now about, you know, being able to eat and put food on the table. But actually, it just makes a change. Not having to fight, fight, fight to sell tickets day in, day out. I mean, I was sick of it. Yeah. And things like, you know, um, many of us as artists have to hire venues and cover venue fees or this and that. There's so many different costs, aren't there, involved in staging events. And, and, and staging events from at home does, does take out some of those costs, actually. Um, so, yeah, all, those, all, all the travel. Or... We've got an opportunity to kind of change things because mm -hmm. once everything is shut and not so much is going to necessarily reopen, even if we go back into tier two. We need to re-educate people to actually value our work and not expect everything for nothing, mm. you know, um, and to pay 
the right kind of money. And if you cannot afford to put musicians on and pay them correctly, then I'm sorry, you don't get me. Mm. You know, it's like, do it properly. Yes. Or, you know, don't use us to get your venues reopened and expect us to work for supper. Frankly, I can eat at home. Yes. It's going to be interesting to see how it impacts us as we come out into whatever out will be. <laughs> um and what will have changed and will certainly i will be think i would also be thinking or i've realized the amount of energy i expended just in moving around to get places and will i be able to kind of dovetail some of that so that i don't have to do quite so much of that and i think a lot of us will be less willing to be pulled this way that way uh, because we've had an experience of not being you know subject to some of those forces so I think it's going to be very very fascinating and of course you know I'm also very aware that of course some people have had no choice and no retreat and they've just had to work frontline and I just want to really honor those people too and say thank you to them for continuing to work all the way through without any respite without any of this reflection time that we're talking about so of course, there's a broad spectrum, isn't there, of, of everyone's experience. Um, oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, and I'll be the first one to say, you know, give me, a, give me your abilities and I'd go and stand in for you for a day. But unfortunately, I'm not a surgeon. <laughs> well, quite. Yeah, did you know that you can actually volunteer to go and give the vaccines? Oh, right. Okay. For anyone that's listening or watching, if you go on to, I think it's St. John's Ambulance website, People are being trained. Anyone can apply and you can train to go and work in the vaccine centres because they need to roll this out so quickly. Wow. You can train. I mean, you've got to jump through just a couple of hoops to make sure that, number one, you're healthy and you get your DBS check and they will train you. But basically, you can go and give vaccinations or speak to people who are nervous when they arrive. I think there's three roles, but I am going to volunteer to give the vaccination because I believe it's the only way we can get our life back. Sure. It's got to be done. And to all those out there who have their opinions about COVID and, anti and, and the vaccine, you know, you're welcome to your opinion. But personally, I want my life back. <laughs> yes. Yes, I hear you. I hear you. Yeah. yeah. So amazingly, we've nearly come to in the end of an hour. It's amazing how it goes so fast, isn't it? But there any closing, I know, closing words you'd like to leave us with about the voice of celebration at the time of Christmas as a celebrant? What would you, what would well, your closing thoughts be? I think, uh, I mean, you know, speaking from a personal perspective, I've had to cancel an event tomorrow night, which I'm really sad I had to cancel, which is a Christmas sing-along on the other side of my cottage on the on, on the green with social distance, mince pies and stuff. And of course we can't in tier three because it's a, it's a public gathering. Okay. And I was really sad because it was the one thing I was kind of looking forward to over the Christmas period. So I'm pivoting that and thinking, so how can I still spread a bit of joy? So I'm just going to go out on my front lawn on Saturday night. I'm going to get my PA system out and I'm just going to sit and be a DJ for an hour and just play loads of Christmas songs to the passers-by on the main roads and wave at them because we did it every Thursday night for the Clap for Carers and people loved it. And I thought, it's okay. You just got to sort of try and think round problems. Yes. Um, but yeah, apart from that, I just... Um, I mean, I've never been a fan of Christmas, if I'm really honest. 
know, it's nice. You get a nice dinner, but I was always happy with beans on toast and a good film. But <laughs> I just think, you know, this is the perfect time to think, actually, you know, let's cut back on money. Let's not throw so much food away. Let's have an Easter celebration instead, you know, yes. put it off for a few months. Yes. I know not everyone can do that. You know, I get it. Mm-hmm. But maybe we've just focused too much on this and it's time to just think, okay. Yes. But, and it's yeah. the materialism, letting go maybe of some of the materialism. You know, we can still, you know, the, the idea of celebrating light at Christmas has gone across every tradition that there is. You know, we've just had Hanukkah, uh, the solstice coming up, which would be a big pagan celebration. We had Diwali in November again, the festival of lights during the darkness, um, particularly in, in cultures with darker climates in winter. This is a, you know, it's a, it makes sense. It makes sense to get together and, and light some candles and get have a bit of a party, basically, in order to celebrate the fact that suddenly the, the calendar is shifting and the sun is shifting and the tide is changing on the seasons. So this, this makes sense. And I think just coming back to maybe some of those more fundamental messages at the centre of what does this really mean to me? And only, only each person can answer that. But what does this really mean to me? What is really important? Absolutely. Is it by, you know, my family? Yeah, we've all agreed to cut down on it, spending things and buying things and just take the stress out and, you know, uh, and, and the labor out of it. And I think that will make it, it will be a different Christmas and we can't gather in the same way, but we're thinking of different ways together. And I think that's making us all be more creative and perhaps more mindful towards the environment as well and towards, and yeah, less materialistic, which I think can be a good thing. Well, I just decided to make everything this year yes. where, where, wherever physically possible, which yes. is fun and, you know, stuff's here, so I might as well. Um, but, I know, as, you know, I know I'm, I'm really lucky, you know, I'm privileged. I've got a lovely home, I've got food, I've got heat and I've got lots of skills and I have access to a lot of things. And I know that's not the same for everyone, but I would just say that whatever you've got, just make the most of it. If you fancy knitting a square and turning it into a potholder, just do it. <laughs> this is the time to sort of have fun and experiment with things that you kept putting off. Yes. Not bungee jumping necessarily, but you know, learn to crochet, learn to knit, learn to sing. There's plenty you can learn on YouTube. Trust me, everything I do, I learn from YouTube. So, <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah, there's so many tutorials out there and I'm sure we've all been, I've definitely been learning new skills and new things. Um, even doing this, this is a new skill, me learning to do Zoom well, lives. It. Who'd have thought it that we would have this right. conversation? We and never we would have to get on a bus to do it. Exactly. Or hire a studio. <laughs> No, I mean, you know, I don't know about you, but I mean, I feel I'm ending this really tricky year on a very positive note because I've retrained in something that I've wanted to do for a long time. And I'm really happy about that. And I'm looking forward to a different year next year in a different role. Um, I'm very lucky I'm, I'm going to be working with Poetic Endings, funeral directors who are very forward thinking run by women owned by women with really fantastic different um way of looking at things and giving people options so that's something to look forward to and whatever happens in between with lockdowns we'll all cope just make some biscuits and some mince pies (laughs) i love it and where can people find you and find out about your celebrant work um, Um, the website is under construction it's called celebrant and ceremony dot co dot uk um 
that should be up by January, she says. Um, but there's a Facebook page with the same title, Celebrant and Ceremony. Um, and of course, people can find me on Facebook or um, Instagram too, or just, you know, send me an email. <laughs> Fantastic. The old fashioned way. <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly so that's celebrant and ceremony find Jill that she's under that on many social medias and her website watch out for the website coming in January if you'd like Jill to just I can't imagine anything better than having Jill take care of one of my events and I've been so lucky to work with you on many wonderful events that have been really transformational for me and for people we have fun working together it's a it's a two-way thing you it know is. we inspire each other so you know but well done for doing this Katie I think Thank it's you. the way forward and um I can't wait to see who you've got next year thank you i know i've got a special surprise guest who i'm going to confirm in january so i'll be letting everybody know about that at Ah. the beginning of the year so let's wish everybody a a very happy unusual creative christmas in whatever way we can create it uh and and may that our voices be a wonderful vessel of that transformative flow at this time and may we speak lovingly uh, to our dear ones in whatever way we can connect even if we can only do it over zoom or on the phone let's just be sharing our voices in ways in our communities you know like jill getting out there with her pa there's so many ways we can all contribute and here's <laughs> happy christmas from jill <laughs> peace on us peace on earth peace on earth (laughs) there that's it we can see it peace on earth exactly peace on earth to one and all exactly and thank you very much for having me as a very chatty and probably i spoke too much guest not at all it's lovely to hear all your pearls of wisdom i feel deeply enriched and thank you for bringing your lovely plant with you (laughs) and and uh looking wonderful as always and i look forward to us sharing and collaborating in in next year and uh, I wish everybody tuning in, thank you so much. Wishing you a wonderful Christmas. And here's to an interesting and brighter times ahead in 2021. We wish, wish you, you a Merry Christmas. Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas. And a an lockdown New Year. <laughs> fantastic i love it i love it thank you everybody thank you jill so much for taking this time to be with us thank you very much take care take care bye now